Warning, cringy moment incoming. This is a cringe alert. I repeat, this is a cringe alert. Mother Nature, welcome to Apple. How, how is the weather getting in? Well, we've got some updates we are excited to share with you. Materials status. Is there a materials person here? Yes. We are in the process of eliminating all plastic from our packaging by the end Let me guess. 50 years from now when someone else is left holding the bag? By the end of next year, actually. Oh boy, there's so much here. Where do I even start? How about the fact that Mother Earth is the most obnoxious woman I think I've ever seen in my life? You'd think she might be a little bit more impressive. I mean, honestly, representation is supposed to give people an appreciation for diversity, but if all you do is show middle-aged black women who are insufferably obnoxious and hard to be around, aren't we being a little bit stereotypical? Moreover, this mom seems to be mad at all the wrong things. You would think old Mother Earth would be mad about abortion. I mean, after all, Apple did speak out after the overturning of Roe v. Wade and said that they would fund people who need to get out-of-state abortions. They would pay for the gas. They would pay for the procedure. They'd pay for all of it just as long as you can get back to your slave work here at Apple. Don't let those kids slow you down. We'll make sure that you eradicate that thing. But no, Mother Earth isn't mad about that. You would think mom might be mad about... I don't know, the fact that Apple's doing business with China. There's 11 million total Uyghur Muslims in China, and 1 million of those Uyghur Muslims are imprisoned in concentration camps. Uh, but Mother Earth has very little to say about that, apparently. Apparently, she's just mad about plastic packaging. And you would think mom might be a little bit mad about the fact that right now, Apple is in a lawsuit with the country of France, and there's a organization claiming that Apple has lied about how much radiation their phones put off and that the European Union should restrict iPhones from being even sold in Europe. But uh, no, she doesn't get mad about that. Perhaps this obnoxious woman is just a horrible mother. But let's get past the fact that this is the worst mother on earth and supposed to be Mother Earth. And let's just focus on the fact that Apple, for a moment, is one of the biggest American corporations. And it's using its ad dollars to personify their brand with a pagan false god. You can make the argument that this is just parody, they don't actually believe in Mother Earth, but you'd be wrong. The people at Apple, who, by the way, are much whiter than they showed in this commercial. Dear white people, wow, y'all really trying it. Sure, they may be using a God they technically don't believe in to show it, but trust me, they do believe in a God. When I say paganism, don't get in your mind I'm talking about healing crystals, vestal virgins, and child sacrifice. Well, forgive me, I am talking about the last one. Hundreds of thousands of baby corpses outside Planned Parenthood would beg to differ. But I don't mean the vision of paganism that you have in your mind. By paganism, I mean a religious belief outside of a storied tradition. I mean a religion that is con tribed in the absence of authentic history. It, it doesn't have a holy book or any verifiable objective beliefs is what I mean. A belief system without any empirical evidence. You may disagree that Christianity has the goods to back up the claim of empirical evidence, but you cannot deny that Christians believe in the historical reality of a guy named Jesus. This would distinguish Christianity from gender ideology, by the way, which is totally fabricated, and a mere superstition like what has been placed in the West in our post-Christian age. So let me tell you why Christianity actually matters and why paganism and Apple personifying it is actually a bad thing. Because if you actually want to live a happy life, the statistics 
have already been brought out about this one. If you truly want a better life, if you truly want to be happy, well, then you need to go to church. You need to be a part of a religious community. Last week on the show, I showed testimonies of celebrities who have experienced God and the great things that God has done in their life as a result of becoming a Christian. Can you please show me this secular analog here of the person who has said, boy, I just started believing in the secret and man, it has absolutely changed my life. I'm a better person. I'm a better husband. Of course, they say it's brought them more money, but of course, that's nothing less than a money grab themselves. (laughs) So I guess in a roundabout way, believing in the secret has brought them more money because it's allowed them to exploit other people to tell them to believe in the secret. Needless to say, pushing that aside. The point is, is that there are testimonies galore of Christians who have given their life to Christ, have experienced God in a special way, and as a result of it, their lives have changed. Jesus, man. I won't go through and show you all of these testimonies, but suffice to say, some of the biggest names in the business claim Christ as their savior, and as a result of it, they say their lives have changed. They've kicked addiction. Their marriages have been healed. They're better people as a result of it. There is no analog in the atheist world or in the pagan world for the kind of testimonies that come out of the mouth of Christians. And most importantly, Christian faith is foundational to America. Chesterton's fence right here is an important analogy to remember. Chesterton said this, when you see a fence, before you tear it down, essentially, you should ask why it was there in the first place. Chesterton is merely telling us, we should stop to think about what happens when we remove foundational boundaries, foundational beliefs in a society. This is why Christianity truly matters. If you think that there won't be consequences for fooling with it, and for fooling with the integrity of the the ideas that built this nation, then you've got another thing coming. The people that came to this country were Christians seeking religious freedom. It's a fact. Before you say that they were all genocidal Indian killers, take a moment, investigate the difference between Jamestown and Plymouth. I'll wait. Actually, I won't, but do it. What you'll find will shock you. If you're an atheist, it will affirm the greatest country on earth was indeed built upon Christian ideas. Our founding documents quote the Bible more than any other book. The Declaration speaks of a divine creator that made us in his image. Wonder where that came from. And our whole system of due process comes from the book of Leviticus. You know that whole innocent until proven guilty thing? Bible. You know that whole civil rights, all men are created equal thing? Bible. I like big bubbles and I cannot lie. Before we even get into discussing whether or not you'll pay the price for your unbelief in the next life, you shouldn't overlook the fact that we've just begun to see how silly it is to undermine Christianity in America. But this commercial gives us a good indication. We may just find that if we don't turn this ship around, there could be an iceberg right ahead. And Apple's commercial is just the tip of the iceberg. But If we do have time to turn this ship around, we might need to return to the beliefs that actually founded this nation. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And to check out today's show sponsor, our friends over at Anchor can help you with all of your small business needs, whether you need payroll, accounting, staffing solutions, or even business strategies to take your business to the next level. Well, then you can check out our friends at Anchor. Not only are they consummate professionals, but they support this show 
because they're amazing. And if you want to support an amazing company that cares about the things that you care about, then you need to go to Anchor, but you got to make sure you get their name right. It's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. Go over there to their website and look at all the ways that they can help you take your business to the next level. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Well, my first story is one that's actually kind of heartwarming. I know, a little bit of a change. There's a lot going wrong, but there are some things going right as well. And one of those is that at Auburn just last week, there was a worship service that had about 5,000 young people in attendance. And then that worship service spilled out into a local nearby body of water, I guess, where then hundreds of people were baptized outside of this event. It was something that was spontaneous and not planned. So needless to say, it's something that local news outlets talked about, but it won't ever be talked about from a national perspective. But of course, it's something that has national importance for us as a people who actually care about kind of what happens to the next generation and the spiritual welfare of of our nation. So needless to say, a, a great event and something that is truly heartwarming, something that you should know about and something that you should research. But I also want to take just a moment, if I may, to sound like a little bit of a wet blanket because I also want to share some concerns that I have about this event in particular, especially because as I continue to talk about secularism and the way it impacts the church and how it doesn't just remove Christianity, but it actually kind of distorts and manipulates Christianity, I think it's important for us to understand the role of church in society and the role of church in our, in our own personal lives. And so to do that, I want to I just kind of, if I can, introduce some difficult questions or introduce uncomfortable questions. And ultimately, if I could say anything, my show is very much about that, is I want us to be able to critically think about things and be willing to ask questions without being labeled as cynical or um, you know, uh, stick in the mud or anything like that, but be willing to ask these questions so that we can, so that we can have a deeper understanding of the purpose of the church, its role in society, and events like these, ways that we could potentially think about it. I know a lot of people are going to say it's off limits to say anything that might be even a little bit critical about what took place, but I'm probably not going to do that, but I do have some questions about it. So let's wade into these waters. The first thing that I have to ask is, was it authentic? Ultimately, did these kids understand what they were doing when they were getting baptized? And because this happened outside of a church, I really have some questions about that because you're not going to get the kind of the level of discipleship to understand what baptism is really about, really, unless you're doing it in a church. Because by and large, when you're baptizing this many kids and it was spontaneous, I had little faith that there was a lot of instruction that went into helping these kids understand what baptism actually means. And again, because this happened outside the church. And I can't help but wonder if this isn't a carryover from something that was very prominent in uh, Gen X and among millennials, which is a total rejection of tradition and authority. If it was old, it was something that needs to be disregarded entirely as antiquated. And the problem with that is that then that means, well, we don't necessarily need the church for any of these things, but we see right in front of us how important it is to have a church, how important it is that, that baptism happened within the context of a church, because I have little confidence that the kind of instruction that would take place within the confines of a church happened here at this event. Were people just emotionally driven to do this? I mean, it was kind of just a worship concert after, after all at the end of the day. And so there is some question as to whether or not this was authentic. I cannot judge the motives of people's hearts. I don't know what God was doing in them. And I, I hope it was. I'm just asking the question. And then I have to just say, you know, the people who reject tradition the most are by and large 
evangelical Christians like myself. I'm in that community, and it does make me remember that there are some things that Catholics get right, even though evangelicals don't like to admit it. And one of those is that you can't get baptized unless you've gone through catechesis. You have to you have to be catechized in order to be baptized so that you understand exactly what you're doing. Now, of course, evangelicals may have questions as to whether or not that catechesis is done effectively and biblically and all of those things. But all I'm saying is, is that Catholics try to make sure that they that the people who are baptized understand what they're doing. So I think that that's an important point that we have to consider. And point number two is this, is that if, if it's not authentic, then ultimately all we're seeing here is a very modern thing that we have to be mindful of, which is just purely the exaltation of emotion. I have very little faith that the vast majority of people out there, especially in the church, are actually preaching like John the Baptist. So when people came to John and were spontaneously baptized, they were doing so because a message of repentance was being promoted. Now, I have very little faith that that's actually what took place at this event. Now, I wasn't there, and again, I don't know, and I'm glad if it did happen, but color me a little skeptical that I'm pretty sure that it probably didn't, and we cannot pretend this isn't an issue. We cannot pretend that people are willing to kind of manipulate Christianity for emotional reasons or manipulate faith for emotional reasons, and I want to bring to you something that just recently took place on TikTok, something called manifesting, which is simply just a new generation's way of talking about the secret, the law of attraction. So anyway, in this new TikTok trend, people are twisting and contorting prayer and twisting and contorting faith and belief to be a means by which you can increase your financial gain. Check it out. This manifestation method is going to get you anything you want. Every time I do this method, I quantum leap my life. Literally things start manifesting within 24 hours. See, most people start manifesting by saying, this is what I want. Instead of telling the universe, this is what I want. I tell the universe to show me how effortlessly this comes to me. Never again say, I want this, because that whole phrase implies lack. I teach you how to manifest in 30 days here. So look, this manifesting trend is gonna come and go just like the secret did, but it will make an impact. There are people that are gonna believe this nonsense. And at the end of the day, all it is is a worship of self. It's a worship of materialism. And they're using spiritual language to try to cover up the fact that all they're doing is worshiping themselves and worshiping money. But, but nonetheless, it's, it's par for the course for our age. Because one of the signs of paganism is not the abolition of Christianity, as I've said over and over again. It's the perversion of it. And all I'm saying is, is that it would be really easy to let an emotional experience kind of supersede biblical Christianity and then we're communicating all the wrong messages to a group of people. Now, the third point is this. It's time to get uncomfortable asking uncomfortable questions. Again, I've done all this because I think it's important for us to think critically about things as Christians. We cannot say it's off limits to ask these questions. And at the end of the day, I'm not making indictments because I just don't know. It would be dishonest of me to do so. But I'm not afraid to when I do know. But the only way we get to that place is if we're really willing to ask questions. So we need to ask questions about what took place at Auburn. We need to celebrate it, but we also need to ask, what happens the next day? What happens Monday when these kids go back to class and they're in their college uh, classrooms? Does it, does it change their behavior? Does it change 
their their understanding of the world? Does it change what they believed about the LGBTQ community? Does it, does it change what they believed about abortion? Because true Christianity does. It changes your fundamental beliefs about the world. So the question is, is did these kids get baptized or did they just get wet? And that's the way we'll know, is that when they experience a true, genuine change in the way that they think about the world, but a lot of that happens as a result of discipleship. So we'll know if they got baptized or if they got wet in the proportion that their thinking conforms to biblical truth. And so all I'm saying is, is that we need more than mass baptisms to truly change this generation. And nobody's claiming otherwise, I get it. But, but we need to be honest about that and we need to be clear about that. Mass baptisms are great, but we need to be willing to stand up against the atrocities of our age. And if we are willing to do so, we can truly make a difference, as I'll show you in our next story. Because I am a one-issue voter, and that one issue is the issue of abortion. I vote along that line because I do believe that it's one of the greatest issues to vote upon. If you believe, um, as the evidence would suggest, that aborting a baby is murdering a child, then there probably is no greater one issue to vote upon than that issue. And it's rare to find an actual politician that stands up for principles, especially ones that are not necessarily culturally popular. To actually have a politician who is a principled individual and is willing to stand up for what they believe in regardless of if it is politically strategic for their campaign or not um, is, is really, really rare, rare. And that's why I believe that abortion is one of the greatest ways in which to vote because you know that if a politician comes along and they're really willing to stand up and take a strong pro-life stance, that this is a politician that cannot be bought. This isn't a politician that's out for himself. This is not about hubris for him because there's a lot of things to lose if you take a strong pro-life stance in present day America. So if you can find a politician that will do that, it gives you a greater assurance, not only that they will protect life, but that they're actually in it for the right reasons, that they have principles and not just a desire for power. And that's why I think your vote is best suited with a guy like Ron DeSantis, because Ron DeSantis did this. When he's campaigning, running to be the president for in 2024, trying to be the Republican nominee, he in his state did something that a lot of people would consider damaging. He signed a heartbeat bill that said, once a baby has a heartbeat, you can't abort that baby. Now, if he was just trying to be politically expedient, he would have pushed that off into a later time. But Ron DeSantis is the kind of guy that promised that if I have the opportunity to sign a bill that will protect life, I will do it. And it's one of the reasons that I think he would make a great president, because he's not just about politics, he's about principles. So Ron DeSantis did this, but just recently, Trump gave an interview in which he gave a little bit of a different take on this issue. Here's that. A federal ban landed on your desk if you were reelected. Would you sign it at 15? Are you talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 weeks. Well, people, people are Starting to think of 15 weeks, that seems to be a number that people are talking about right now. Would you sign that? I, uh, I, would, I would sit down with both sides and I'd negotiate something 
and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years. Uh, I'm not going to say I would or I wouldn't. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think that I, I think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. Now, before I go any further, I just want to state something. Logical consistency matters to me. Not that I always have it, but it does matter to me. It's important to me. And I understand that by not kissing the ring of this powerful man, not that Donald Trump knows me, but if I ever got the chance to, to meet him, he's a powerful man and he's a kingmaker and he's been... Uh, a powerful force for promotion for many people uh, in conservative circles. But it is more important for me not to kiss the ring, but to be logically consistent here. So I want to be logically consistent. And I want to tell you as a one issue voter, this is the kind of reason that I think you cannot vote for Donald Trump. Now, let me just explain this because the argument here is that all Donald Trump is saying is that he wants abortion to be a state's rights thing. That's why he overturned Roe v. Wade. And aren't you thankful for that? Yes, incredibly. Tens of thousands of babies have been saved as a result of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I am very thankful for that. But, but it isn't for the reason you th that you're saying, because it, it really can't be, at least if we're going to take his words seriously on Meet the Press there. Because if this is really all about Donald Trump's desire to make sure that it's a state's rights issue, then why did he frown upon governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, taking his state's rights into account and then as a state deciding that, hey, we're going to put a heartbeat bill? He said it was a, ter quote, terrible idea to sign a heartbeat bill in the state of Florida. So that doesn't really sound like he's against a federal abortion ban because he wants states to make up their mind. If he wanted states to make up their mind and this wasn't just merely about winning politically, then you would think he would say, hey, that state decided what they wanted to do. Good for that state. What Donald Trump is doing here is acknowledging something that's true. He's acknowledging status quo bias. And that means essentially that the status quo is typically the thing that people typically defer to. And because abortion is kind of status quo in America, people take a more centrist approach on the issue of abortion by and large. And so Donald Trump is taking kind of the strategic long game here. He's just saying, hey, it'll injure my rights if I come out and just say I want a federal ban on abortion. We've been told for ages and generations that that's the death knell for the Republican Party, that you know, people who are standing in the middle won't vote for a Republican if they take a strong stance on the issue of life. But here's my problem. That long game strategy just doesn't work. It may sound right. And to be logically consistent, I have to say, hey, if it did work and it saves more babies in the long run, then do it that way. But the kind of politicians who don't, to, don't take a firm stance on it when they're campaigning are also the kind of politicians who don't take a firm stance on it once they get in office because they quickly find that there's other responsibilities and other things that they need to consider now that they've gained power. So the long game strategy doesn't work. It doesn't work because, by the way, when did we acquiesce to the status quo and just say, well, what the statistics say is what we're going to do? Um, it's the status quo only because of weak Republicans and Republicans that won't take a stand. So I offer rather this, that you need to vote for a candidate who is willing to kind of go the extra step and do what Republicans and conservatives have done with transgenderism in America. So the same kind of tack that we've taken with transgenderism, we need to take with abortion. Now, by the way, we say some people may argue that transgenderism is a relatively new kind of phenomenon, and that's why it's been able to uh, 
um, be quashed so effectively by conservatives and Republicans. But of course, if you ask the transgender community, they'd say they're as old as dinosaurs. So there was obviously male dinosaurs that were walking around in dresses back in the day. But needless to say, I don't think it's just because transgenderism is a relatively new phenomenon that Christians have been able, sorry, that conservatives and Christians have been able to respond to it um, as effectively as they have. I just simply, it's, I simply think it's because they're actually trying. And if we do that, we can truly make a difference. So the first thing is this, is that just like we did with detransitioners, we need to trot out rape victims who had their baby and we need to have their children with them and we need to hear their stories and we need to speak to the the people who were the the product of failed abortions but were able to be born just like detransitioners and the powerful stories of Chloe Cole and others we need to hear from these people and the and we need politicians and I would highly encourage a Ron DeSantis or somebody like that to start bringing out these people and start bringing up their stories wherever they can so that we can hear about these people as long as we just make this a political issue we are going to forget the mothers who are victimized after these abortion procedures and victimized the rest of their life as a result of it, and we're, we're, we're going to miss the wonderful stories of the children who were a byproduct of rape, but then went on to do something wonderful with their life, who didn't have to pay for the crime of their father. So in other words, we need to hear these stories. And then we need to bring up scientists. You know, the left loves the experts, but apparently only when they want to shove experimental vaccines in your arm. But we need to bring out the experts, and we need to talk about when life actually begins. And we need to have experts who are willing to come out and say, hey, when you have a new strand of DNA, that's a new life. So you may not like it, and you may think that this is simply a religious argument. It's not. It's most importantly a religious argument because you need to sanctify life. And uh, life is important because it's it's made in the image of God. But beyond that, the scientists and the experts can tell you really clearly when life actually begins. And then finally, we need to go the extra step and start showing people what abortions look like. Every time somebody wants to come with you with some kind of pro-abortion talking point, show them an abortion. Live Action just recently did this kind of in a man on the streetway, and the response from this individual was fascinating. Check it out. What are your thoughts on abortion? I'm like more so like women, women will have the majority say so on that. It's her decision. Do you know what the abortion procedure looks like or how it's performed? No. Ooh. 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 After watching a video like that, what's one word to describe what you saw? Gory. Like straight out of a horror movie. Like, like something off a of sword. Like, nasty you literally December the baby inside of the womb that's murder so after seeing something like that does your mind kind of change yeah I'm, I'm, I'm against it I feel like that should be in school that should be more in school like somewhere to public knowledge not just um if you're looking for it like it, it needs to be out here like you know what I'm saying so yeah yeah we know what you mean man we know exactly what you're saying so the best argument against this kind of stuff is to make people confront the repercussions of their decisions. Now, we've done this in the trans argument and we've made great gains as a result of it. And we can do this in the abortion argument too. If we can find some people who are willing to stand up, stand up and say what it means and define what it means to be a good citizen in a good society. And we'll do that in our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. Oh God of pronouns. 
Today in our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats, we're going to go to an unlikely source for Christianity. We're going to Ethan Hawke and his daughter, Maya Hawk, because they were just recently on uh, Catholic Father Robert Barron's podcast where they talked about grace, they talked about forgiveness, they talked about Flannery O'Connor, and the new movie that Maya and Ethan just made about Flannery O'Connor called Wildcat. Check it out. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with it. I miss it, it or I I mess it up. I've had friends like that. I've had friends, I've had moments in my own life where you're, where you momentarily get it. Yeah. You get that you're a part of something much bigger and it's like a, there's like a crack in this banal treadmill that we're Mm -hmm. all on and all of a sudden you see it and how to take what you just saw felt in your bones. She's another great line I love, which is, Faith is what you know to be true, even if you don't believe it. It's like your body sometimes knows something's true. Mm-hmm. You know there's a larger truth that your intellect can't yeah. quite grasp. Yeah. Um, and she has that other great line that if you could understand God, God would, God would be less than you. Right. And we, that's we, right from St. Augustine. If you, if you understand it, that's not God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's much... And, and so her search and her ability to put the search into art yeah, that, that, right. that you then have to say, okay, wait, I, I have had moments of grace. Did I respond right? Did I know how to incorporate? And that's the great value of organized religion. Is to- now, I want to show you guys that clip because I think it's really interesting. I, I think it's a high-level intelligent conversation, and I just kind of love that sort of thing. And I think that there is merit in what Ethan Hawke says especially, and a much deeper guy than I gave him credit for. Um, but then there's also some merit in the things that his daughter says. Now, they're kind of... The things she says are very typical for a young girl her age, I'll, I'll just be honest and say. But, but need, needless to say, throughout the whole conversation, there's some very interesting uh, things that they discuss, and I, would, I su- submit it to you for your own personal benefit. Now, the second thing I have to point out about this conversation is I'm also a little bit uneasy about where the conversation went. So we hear words discussed like grace, higher self, cross, and Jesus and Christ almost never. And I thought that was a little bit odd in a conversation with a Catholic priest. But maybe not when you're dealing with two Hollywood actors. But the problem with not bringing Jesus into the conversation, especially when you're talking about these very biblical and religious words, is that the conversation can become incredibly esoteric and can be incredibly disconnected from real life and what we actually do in a real world scenario. For instance, these individuals that live in Hollywood and are steeped in gender ideology and all sorts of other crazy ideas. What, what do those ideas that are socially acceptable, uh, what, what happens to those ideas when they come into conflict with the biblical truths that they're trying to espouse here about being your higher self? So let me give you a for instance. In the movie Wildcat, Ethan Hawke has to film his daughter doing graphic sex scenes. New York Post just recently reported this, and Ethan had something to say about it. And quote, Ethan Hawke couldn't care less about directing daughter Maya in graphic sex scenes. Now, after hearing that, what are the chances, do you think, that Ethan Hawke espouses a biblical view of sexuality or a biblical view of the sanctity of human life, holy matrimony, or what the higher self looks like. What happens when you have a desire for the higher self, but 
then the scripture or God tells you that the higher self looks like rejecting some of the ideas that are so prominent in Hollywood. Do you reject those ideas or do you accept those ideas because you're afraid of the social consequences of them or because just emotionally you have a predisposition to believe this and not that? Nonetheless, the question comes to the fore. When we use these religious words, they don't mean anything if we're not actually willing to put them to the test, the ultimate test of the what would Jesus do thing. So this goes back to the Auburn thing. I'm happy about what took place there, but we have to make sure we're cheering for the right things before we start blindly cheering. And that's the, the third point and the most important point. And this goes back to what it means to have a good society and what it means to have a society made up of good citizens. Because if we're going to have a good society, we have to have good citizens. And that pushes us to a conversation of what good actually is, of what objective moral values look like and where we get them from. All I'm saying at the end of the day is that if we're going to have a conversation about what a good society looks like, we must have a conversation about what good citizens look like. And we can't use just random, good-sounding words like grace, higher self, and discipline, and, and, uh, and suffering and never root those things in a moral system, in a basis of belief that actually help us integrate these ideas into something practical, into, into something usable. And that's exactly what Christianity does. Now you're gonna say, well, of course I expect that from you, Reed, but let's just be really clear. Agnosticism and atheism doesn't do that. At least Richard Dawkins was honest enough to say this, that the world is exactly as you would expect it to be. Uh, no good, no evil, just blind, pitiless indifference. Now, this is what you get with atheism. You get a, a world where God doesn't exist and there is no such thing as good or evil. There's just pitiless indifference. We're all just kind of random uh, atoms bumping into each other, unfortunately. And, and the reality is, is that you're going to have to go beyond secular humanism, beyond atheism, beyond agnosticism to actually create a functional society. And our society was built upon these principles. I think you know that's true. So we have to go beyond the esoteric and we have to move into something more substantive, more deep. And here's why this really, really matters to all of us today. Because the secularization of Christianity will play a part in how our society functions. Now, let me give you an analogy of this. In the early 1900s, miners started bringing canaries into coal mines because the songbirds would make noise constantly until they died. If they killed over, it was because the fumes were becoming so toxic that it was a sign to the miners that you better get out before the same thing happens to you. Now, I use this analogy because I think Christianity in the American West is a canary in the coal mine. If Christianity goes the way of secularism, then it's a sign of what is eventually going to happen to society. Now, you may hate Christianity. You may have had a bad experience in church one time and now you're all butthurt about it, but please think about what it means that a holy faith can be disfigured by progressivism and what that might do to a society that was built upon those ideas. You may think that is a hint to the durability of the Christian faith, that it's weak or something and it can't take any of the pressure that we've given it as a society, but I'd rather argue that it's more an indication of how weak and passive the church has become. The silence of the church is deafening and other voices have filled that silence, other voices like this. You know, COVID restrictions are gone. BLM is mostly a joke to anyone paying attention, but please know there will be another crisis that pops up sooner rather than later. And you will have to ask yourself, what is my responsibility to keep tyranny at bay? What ethical moral basis will fuel my understanding of what's going on in the world so that I can stand up before it's too late? 
Before that happens, you can act now. You can start using your social media to take a stand on the issues that matter most. You can start speaking to your friends and encouraging them to attend school board meetings. You can start hosting Bible studies in your workplace. You can even boycott something, anything. Of course, not this show, but anything. Seriously, you can stop making excuses for how you can't boycott everything, and you can finally find something to boycott and stick to it. I'd highly encourage Disney, because just watch what happens when you actually believe in something, and then you put some practical effort behind that thing. It's actually really good for the soul. Another thing, you can quit criticizing the people who are taking a stand and realize they've been saving your butt and making the world a better place for your kids, if even in their own way. While you sit back, and do little else to change it except point your finger at the people who are making a difference and watch TV. I speak so pointedly, not because I feel like I've done these things well or even at all, but because I yearn for this world to return to a sense of normalcy. I know the only hope for that is to have an honest national conversation on ethics and where they actually come from. Eventually, Jesus will come up in that conversation, I have no doubt. And because he was so right about everything, people will be forced to acknowledge that and then maybe even believe in him and that will truly change our world. But you can also take some practical steps as well beyond that, and you can subscribe, like, and share this podcast with others because that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Go with God.